Hello and welcome to the Drink In and Geek Out Podcast. This is a show where we drink beer and talk about it. Hello and welcome. This is part three of our competition because I don't think we really have a name for it. <laughs> so, competition. It's the March Mayhem. March Mayhem. Ah, March Mayhem. <laughs> All right, there we go. March Mayhem. We'll see what it's called next week. Uh, this time we are down to the final four. Uh, if you are not following along, please go back to the other podcasts. Just listen and figure out what we have. All right, so for we have ales versus wheat. Uh, the spotted cow moved along, and the gumball head moved along. So there are together. Uh, and then for the dark, we had the harpoon, and for the brown, we had the decadent, and so they're paired mm-hmm. up together. So it's going to be a really, really, really good final four. Um, but before we move on to that, we have some March Exploited Deleted trivia. <laughs> and between each rounds, we're going to try to make sense of this convoluted timeline that they call X-Men. All right. Here's trivia number one. With 11 national titles, UCLA has the record for the most NCAA men's Division I basketball championships. John Wooden coached UCLA, UCLA to 10 of its 11 titles. The University of Kentucky is second with eight. And while the University of North Carolina, Duke, and IU are tied for third with five national titles. No team as a number 16 seed has ever defeated a number one seed since the field was expanded to 64 or more teams. Villanova in 1985, a number 8 seed, was the lowest seeded team to win the tournament. It has only happened once that all number 1 seeds made it to the Final Four. 2008, which was Kansas, who won the championship then, UNC, UCLA, and Memphis. In 97, Arizona achieved a record when it became the only team to beat three number 1 seeds in a single tournament. Arizona was a number four seed, beat Kansas in its own southeast region, then beat North Carolina in the Final Four, and finally Kentucky in the championship game. Rick Pitino is the only coach to have officially taken three teams to the Final Four, Providence in 87, Kentucky 93, 96, 97, and Louisville 2005 to 2012 and 2013. Largest margin of victory in a championship game, 30 points by UNLV in 1990. 103-73 over Duke. Damn. (laughs) I think I saw something uh, yesterday that uh, something about number four is moving on uh, for the first time. Oh, really? Yeah, to the Sweet 16 or something like that. So Purdue as a four moved on to the Sweet 16. Butler as a number four moved on to the Sweet 16. Let me pull up the rest of the brackets to see like what we have for number fours. Well, probably by the time this airs, I think <laughs> this will be passed. Yeah, but I mean, it's still part of the trivia. True. Mm-hmm. So Butler moved on. Purdue moved on. West Virginia moved on, and Florida moved on. So it was the first time that all four number fours had moved on to the Sweet Sixteen. So I mean, I saw that last week. Uh, as a stat, so I forgot to add it to this trivia, but it is an additional thing that I can add because I only got to read one. Aww. Sad panda. <laughs> um, all right, so uh, the format of the show is going to change a little bit. Uh, we are not... 
We are not going to uh, talk about the beers uh, as much. We're, we are still going to drink them. We are still going to enjoy them. But instead of just drinking them as they are as an ale, we're going to drink them as if they're plotted against the other one. So Spotted Cow and Gumball Fuck You are <laughs> coming together. Uh, we're just basically drinking them as we go, and we're pitting them against each other. You won't hear any breaking news about Gumball Head. You won't hear mm-hmm. about that Spotted Cow Brewery in New Galeris. Uh, it's just going to be, here's how we feel about this beer. Uh, a week later, uh, two weeks later in these. Right. So, uh, yeah, if you really want to know about these beers, check out our previous podcast. Idiot. <laughs> Do it. <laughs> God, if you don't check it out, it just sucks to be you. Oh, yeah. Because you're not going to understand a damn thing we're talking about. You probably will never understand a damn thing we're talking about regardless. <laughs> All right, so to lead us off with the the wheat, the wheat ale conference, we have the Spotted Cow. Right, we started off with them? This is the, a, yeah, this is the ale, though. Okay. The ale of the wheat can, can match up. All right. I remember this slightly from the last time. Creamy. It's very refreshing after eating. <laughs> yeah. It's still very tasty. Mm-hmm. Good any time of the year beer. Sit outside. Summer day. Yeah. That's no, good. It's good mouthfeel to it. Very light. I think a lot of non-beer drinkers are drinking. Oh, yeah. Nice. <clears throat> Summer beer. Let's say it's not really a, like a Wisconsin... like style to me but like when it's nice and warm outside uh, I would drink the crap out of these just like that um, one beer we had this like summer only beer I forget what brew was it was a green label was that lawnmower one yeah the lawnmower one lawnmower lager or something like that yeah something stupid like that but I would still drink the hell out of them in the summer that was a good one So. so what's a Wisconsin beer Miller yeah. Old Milwaukee. Old Milwaukee. Like, <laughs> like something that you could, like, it's crisp and it won't bother you to drink it when it's sub-zero temperatures. Mm. I feel so. like this could fit in with that. This might be slightly better than the first time. It's, it, it's improved? It's improved a little bit. Now that it's not the second beer, it's on a clean palate. Yeah, it's on a clean palate. All right, uh, I'm going to lead the crew off. Spotted Cow, you gained a... Uh, quarter of a cap from me um so instead of three i'm looking at three three and a quarter i like it um everything i I said just sitting here yeah pretty much sums it up uh i'm gonna i'm bumping up to a three and a half i'm sticking with my three and a half from before i think it's still about just as good as i remember it yep three Three and and a half for me Easy drinking. Easy drinking. Yeah, definitely. Several of these. A bunch of these. Mm -hmm. I ruined the hand holding. Mm -hmm. I ruined it once too. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Definitely increased that score. All right, next up for the the wheat part of the ale wheat is Gumball Head, the three Floyd monster that I apparently don't like because I rated the lowest. Trying to sub subdue like the whole like I brought this beer, I picked it to win, Homer feel. Oh. And you went the lowest. Weird. 
I know, I know, and I drink the hell out of this. Just be honest with yourself. Okay. I rate it seven and a half <laughs> out of five. <laughs> this one has a good smell. It's it's up there with the the decadent. Not as creamy smell as Nibblers just had. No. Even following that up, like I feel like I'm getting a decent feel and taste yeah. for this one. I feel like those two were a pretty good match, actually. Yeah, this is gonna be tougher. Mm-hmm. Closer than the Harlem or whatever that was, Sugar Sugar Hill Gang. Sugar Hill and Spotted yeah. Dick, and then uh, Renaissance Wheat or Wit, and this one here. Yeah. I think I'm gonna move my rating down slightly, but just to 4.25. It's still better than the Spotted Cow, what I rated that at, but I think they're a little bit closer now. So I'm moving the rating down just to bring them a little bit closer together. I'm going to keep mine at 4.25. It was uh, it was just as good as the first time. I think like when I tried the Spotted Cow the second time, it was it's a little something different, maybe just a little better palette. Yeah. So I did essentially bring them a little bit closer too. Yeah, I'm going to bump mine up just a little bit. <laughs> I didn't quite... Uh, rate it as well as I should have. Um, 4.25. I'm being true to myself. Because <laughs> 4 to 4.25 isn't that bad, but we automatically put Spotted Cow above. Gentlemen, <laughs> 4.25. I don't have the sound effect anymore. We were doing this, I was like, what are you doing? No, I'm like, what's oh, happening? What's happening? I knew it was happening. <laughs> I knew it was happening because the handle. There we go. <laughs> Play again. Yes! <laughs> Actually. <laughs> what? Is that Bob? It was actually me. <laughs> <laughs> Can't beat a 4.25 average if you don't score a 4 at all. Sorry, spotted dick. Oh, man. It was nice knowing you. It was a good effort. We'll just have to move on. (laughs) (laughs) I'm going to stick with Gumball in the final. All right. Well, before we move on to the next game... We uh, have a little X-Men to talk about. Oh, yeah. Just a little bit. Let's talk about that convoluted timeline. <laughs> so now we're on the timeline. Uh, technically, the timeline begins in ancient Egypt with Apocala- Apocalypse. Not Apocalypse. Apocalypse. <laughs> <laughs> uh, he's believed to be the first mutant, and he has the four horsemen alongside of him. He is overthrown and entombed for hundreds of years, and I guess not much happens since... We don't really know anything in between uh, until the 1940s when a young Eric Lenscher is found in, German, in a German concentration camp by Kevin Bacon, who forces him to use his mutant powers. Around the same time, a young Charles Xavier meets Xavier meets a young shapeshifter named Raven, and then we also see Wolver- some scatter shots of Wolverine and Sabretooth fighting. In a bunch of wars, Civil War, World War One, Two, and Vietnam. Nineteen sixty-two, we have the events of X Men: First Class, 
Eric and Charles finally meet, becoming friends, and start the school and community that would one day become the X-Men. They also attempt to recruit Logan before Weapon X gets him. Eric and Charles have a falling out after choosing sides on nonviolence and revenge, and Eric unintentionally paralyzes Charles. Mystique then chooses Eric over Charles. 1973, the events of Days of Future Past. After being paralyzed, Charles has grown isolated and addicted to a drug that allows him to walk at the cost of his powers. In 1973, Mystique travels to France to assassinate a scientist by the name of Bolivar Trask, who is preparing to launch a program to create mutant-seeking sentinels. She succeeds, stalling the project somewhat, but urging the government to take mutants seriously as a threat to be controlled. Mystique is captured, and the re research done into her mutation and shape-shifting eventually becomes the foundation of the most deadly version of the Sentinels which are wreaking havoc in the future and are about to destroy the last of the mutants. In 1981, the events of X-Men Origins Wolverine. Uh, this Origins film uh, essentially is where he gets his uh, powers, but in the Origins beginning, it starts off at 1845, is where I wanted to you know, kind of make a side note, uh, is when he was born. Uh, and I'll get into that uh, next week when I talk fully on Wolverine. Right. But in 1981, Logan joins Weapon X. He receives his adamantium skeleton, kills Wade Wilson. Well, technically, Sabretooth kills him. <laughs> and then he comes back with all these other powers. Right. Then he's chopped in half. Yeah. Uh, this, all, this is also the origin of the adamantium bullet that is used on Logan. It doesn't kill him, just causes him to lose all of his memories, explaining why... Uh, we he doesn't remember what had happened to him in the X-Men trilogy. Charles is seen walking and using his powers at the end of the movie and recruiting a bunch of future X-Men from Weapon X. This is never explained since he was paralyzed in 1962. Also around this time, we see Charles and Eric back together as friends visiting a young girl named Jean Grey to recruit her. Charles is also walking in this scene. He does look kind of cartoony in these scenes because they use CGI to youngify him. So maybe we can just explain this away that he is just protecting himself, projecting himself there and really in his chair back at the house. That's the only thing I can come up with. Yeah. Um, then we have the original X-Men trilogy. Those take place between the years 2000 and 2007. Um... Here, Logan stumbles upon a young rogue named Rogue and is eventually recruited into the X-Men. The government is attempting to pass the Mutant Registration Act. The X-Men stop Magneto from turning everyone into mutants. Then they stop Stryker from killing all the mutants, and Logan remembers how he got his adamantium. Uh, but Jean Grey must sacrifice herself to save all of them. Ultimately, Jean returns as the Phoenix and kills Scott Summers and Charles, the government develops a cure to uh, for the mutants, which is used on Mystique, Rogue, and Magneto. Logan must kill the woman he loves, Jean, in order to save the world. In a scene just before the credits, we see Eric move a little metal chest piece, slightly hinting that the cure may not be permanent. Then, in a post-credit scene, we hear Charles' voice in the mindless patient he referred to earlier in the movie, and we can assume that he transferred his consciousness into that body that looks exactly like him because the next time we see him he still looks like Patrick Stewart. 
He even continues to use the wheelchair. So maybe that guy was paralyzed also, or it's just in his head that he thinks he's paralyzed. Um, another theory is he is constantly in everyone's mind making them think he looks like the same old Patrick Stewart, even though he is in a new body. Right. We have the events of The Wolverine, takes place 2013. Logan travels to Japan to honor the dying wish of a young man he saved during World War II. His healing factor is stolen, then returned. His adamantium claws are cut off, and they regrow as bone claws again. He makes peace with the death of Jean, and ends his mission accepting that he is a soldier who has been gone too long. He's headed back to the friends he left behind, but they're already waiting when he arrives at the airport. Charles and Eric suddenly reunited, having last opposed each other over the controversial mutant cure approach, approach Logan for help. Logan is surprised to see Charles back alive since he watched him get ripped apart by Jean, and the only explanation we get is that Logan is not the only one with gifts. They believe a great threat is coming, the development of the Advanced Sentinels by Task's Brain Trust, and one in which mutant kind will only survive if they stick together, and Logan is too powerful a mutant to leave out of the fight. At some point between movies, his claws are covered with adamantium again. The events of Days of Future Past in 2023. Ten years have passed, and it's at this point that the dark future that X-Men films were always building towards is made real. Sentinels have hunted down mutants and humans alike, leaving the world gray, charred husk. But with Kitty Pride's ability to send a conscious backwards... Through time and in their younger body, a solution presents itself. Charles and Eric deduce that preventing Mystique assassinating Trask would be the one event needed to avoid this future, but only Logan's mind can take that large a stretch. He succeeds, changing every event that took place after it. The timeline is erased. The moment Logan succeeds in his mission to change the future from 1973 onward, reality is rewritten into a new timeline. A new, singular timeline. And from 1973 forward, it's a completely different ballgame. One that fans have only seen glimpses of so far. Yeah, 1962, the events of First Class remain the same since they are before 1973. I'll go ahead. <clears throat> the, in 1973, the events of Days of Future Past, uh, after Logan is sent back, Mystique's assassination attempt of Bolivar Trask is foiled, and then Eric attempts to kill her. Um, they are exposed to the world. Mutantkind is shown in a new light when Magneto lifts an entire stadium to surround the White House in attempts to uh, kill President Nixon. The world watches as Mystique arrives to save the day, showing that mutants can be feared also, but also Id- idolized. Unfortunately, the new timeline for Logan is completely changed, finding himself at the bottom of a river without any idea how he got there. Where Logan had originally been recruited and dispatched as part of a strike team of mutant soldiers in the 80s, Stryker has a new plan. Having seen Logan's powers up close and now finding him helpless with and with public sentiment turning towards mutant heroism rather than fear, he comes up with a new idea for what Weapon X can be. 1983, we have the events of X-Men Apocalypse. Instead of taking on missions alongside Wade Wilson and Sabretooth, Logan now finds himself imprisoned, brainwashed, and physically augmented as Stryker's pet project. It's not exactly clear how he got there, because at the end of Future's Past, he is found by Stryker at the bottom of the lake, but his eyes flash, revealing him to be Mystique. 
The Killing Machine Weapon X is finally let loose when a young batch of mutants from Charles Xavier's school, Scott Summers, Jean Grey, and Kurt Wagner, free him to create a diversion as they rescue their friends. Weapon X savagely murders everyone within Alkali Lake, forms a brief psychic link with Jean, who claims to have unlocked some kind of truth or memory in his feral, damaged mind, and he escapes into the wilderness, at some point ending up at Xavier's school for gifted youngsters. The events of Deadpool, taking place in 2016. The real Deadpool is created not that nonsense that was in Wolverine. <laughs> Considering how horribly Alkali Lake turned out, it appears that the scientists pursuing mutant control stick to the shadows, triggering mutations in forgotten souls and selling them to the highest bidder. In 2018, a backstory from Logan... It is around this approximate time that the X-23 project is put into motion by Alkali Transigen, seeking to create new mutants in laboratories and raise them as such from birth. It can also be presumed that the efforts to spread the Canewood corn syrup infected, the vi- infected with the virus to suppress mutant genes are underway. Transigen has a two-pronged attack, suppress mutant births, and establish a monopoly over the over carefully grown mutant soldiers. Back in 2023, the events of Days of Future Past, uh, the future after Logan is sent back. At this point, Logan wakes up in his 2023 body. History has been rewritten around him, as shown in the final scene. Since the Sentinels weren't created and the events of the preceding films never took place, or not as what we know them, at least. The original X-Men have survived and all seem well at Xavier's school. Logan's even a teacher. The Logan at this point has been the one that broke out of Alkali Lake and stumbled his way to Charles Xavier in the decades that followed. Charles has been waiting for the moment that this Logan would catch up with the one he had met in 1973. Knowing that Logan from the future would have had his consciousness dropped into the changed reality memories intact Charles spots the, his confusion the second he arrives and explains that they have decades of new history to catch up on sadly as this movie uh, as the movie Logan would reveal the happy ending did not last long which leads us to 2029 the events of Logan just a few short years after Days of Future Past happy ending, Charles Xavier likely killed the rest of the X-Men. And here's where things get a bit harder to connect to the previous films in any meaningful sense. Mangold has been open and found about the fact <clears throat> that he tried to tell a standalone story apart from what came before, probably the smartest creative decision that can be made. It's for that reason that he set Logan years ahead of anything seen already to have a blank slate. In that sense, the movie can stand apart as essentially one possible future for Logan, without any need to connect to preceding stories for its significance, even that implied murder of the X-Men is only vaguely alluded to. That approach might be the best for fans to take, but the reliance and recollection of past events by characters encourages viewers to take previous films as a central backstory. That means the mentions of the Statue of Liberty, X-Men, and adamantium bullets, X-Men Origin Wolverine, and Logan will raise more questions than they answer because we've already established that the timeline was erased. So the answer is simple. Logan was made as a vision of Wolverine's last days, regardless of what came before. In the timeline of the series, it's the future half of a decade after the closing scenes of Days of Future Past. Apparently, that anti-mutant corn syrup did a number on things, 
and Xavier's malfunctioning brain took care of the rest not long after they were reunited. Rip. No, poor mutants. So, is anybody just as confused about the timeline <laughs> before we start? Uh, yeah, very confused. It doesn't really clear anything up, but it was fun to go down memory lane. Yeah. That's good. <laughs> that is wonderful. <laughs> I, I'm waiting for that new X-Men film that's coming out, or is projected to be coming out. <laughs> Which one? Um, Supernova one? Yeah, the Supernova one. Hopefully it'll connect some things, but more likely it'll just cause more questions than answers. Right, so I guess we'll just have to see where the timeline goes. Uh, I'm excited to see if there's any like movies coming out with X-23. Yeah, I would think they'd want to continue, since this movie's doing pretty well in... Uh, but at the box office, you would think they'd want to continue that storyline as best they can. Where does Supernova fall in the timeline? After yeah. Apocalypse, but before X Men. X Men One. Okay. So it could happen like I guess in, the nineties. Nineties. Yeah. The first one's sixties. Then they did seventies. Then they did eighties. And X Men takes place in two thousand. Yeah, so it could be the nineties. Be the perfect slot for it. Yeah, that makes sense. Um, I wouldn't mind them remaking. X-Men, yeah. X1, 2, and 3, mm-hmm. but... With these new characters. Mm-hmm. And, like, change them a little bit. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Because apparently those were released, re- erased from the timeline anyway, so... Yeah. Yeah. So, like, the reintroduction of the Wolverine. As a yeah. new Wolverine. Mm-hmm. Oh, that'd be interesting. Mm-hmm. That would be interesting. Definitely possibilities where these 20th Century Fox takes us. Alrighty. I am ready... For the Dark Brown Conference. How about you guys? You ready for that one? Absolutely. Oh, yeah. Yep. Oh, I am. Let's do this. All right. Uh, we are going to kick things off with a little Harpoon Dark. That's right. That's from our Brown Conference. Dark, dark, dark Conference. Dark Conference, yes. It narrowly escaped Dark Penance. That's right. It's from Harpoon Brewery. This is a lager slash Dunkel Munich. 5.5% ABV, 35 IBUs. Just in case you forgot. In case you forgot. <laughs> you might not have listened. It looks a little blood red, so not mad. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's tasting better the second time around. This is the one I believe it had like a burnt like smell to it. Toasty, burnt. It was the coffee like flavor. Yeah, yeah, it was coffee. It was the uh, coffee breath, I believe. <laughs> yeah, coffee breath. That's what we still have. Coffee breath. <laughs> Not much has changed for me. Still pretty much the same. Mm-hmm. It's a little bit better than I remember. Yeah, me too. I did bump it up a little bit. I bumped it up to a four mm-hmm. from a 375. I bumped it up to a, a three from a two seventy five. <laughs> I'm sticking with mine, three and a half. I'm gonna bump mine up to three and a half. It was uh, a huge jump. Yeah, I. Where were you before? Three. Three. Mm. I just I don't know I just found a little more balance in it and um, kind of a nicer finish, nicer mouthfeel. Yeah, I had to bump it up a little bit. The last time I tried it, like, a couple weeks ago, you know, <laughs> it was a uh, different guy. Yeah. <laughs> it's changed, changed so much. It's changed so much. It tastes more chocolate in it this time than I remember. 
I still have the coffee aftertaste. Mm -hmm. That first hit is more chocolatey, and then it has that coffee finish. It hasn't changed. Hasn't changed. For me. I mean, uh, the initial taste was better. It's still that... Not so good aftertaste. Yeah, aftertaste, yeah. Yeah, it's still got that cold coffee breathness. <laughs> breathness. Well, that's why it didn't change. <laughs> we might as well just pull out the favorites and get this show on the road. Let's skip right to the final episode. Alright, and the contender that is just a favorite. <laughs> the decadent dark chocolate ale. We thought highly of this one already. Mm-hmm. I'm surprised you still have some in your glass. I know, I'm, I'm talking. <laughs> <laughs> I'm talking first. Because I'll finish this momentarily. <laughs> I'm giving you guys some time to catch up. I'm surprised I made it from the bottle to the glass. I know. I'm surprised that you guys even handed me a cup. <laughs> I figured Keith would just drink it all. True story. And the winner is... <laughs> It's a nice creamy mouthfeel. It's a perfect amount of chocolate notes. There's other chocolate beers out there that it just it lingers in a very terrible aftertaste. Yeah, a this bad chocolate. Just, yeah, generic just chocolate. Enough. Just enough. But it's not milk chocolate. If we, it is dark chocolate. chocolate. Mm-hmm. It does taste a lot like chocolate soda. That person was right on mm-hmm. that one. He must have hated it because I love it. I love chocolate <laughs> soda. Well, I think like the best decision they made was making it like a like a lighter ale with like a chocolate f- like flavoring. Mm-hmm. That way, it doesn't like linger like you know some of your like heavy chocolate malts would. Right. That's why they just this like sets it apart and has a bad Easter hollow Easter bunny flavor. This one does not. <laughs> I'm keeping it the same. Same here. Same. I'm not. <laughs> uh oh. I told you I was gonna change it last time, but I didn't. I changed it this time. <laughs> again. They're not labeled, so I have to like. Just guess. I think it's this one. Nope. That one's Pearl. <laughs> there it is. That's our best impression of Bob, I think. <laughs> oh, shit. Alright, so that concludes the final four, and we're down to final two. Oh, we all gave it a 4.5. We just yeah. said we're hand-holding. We, never said we're <laughs> yes. we held hands for a 4.5. 4.5. Yeah, so the winner of the first bracket was Gumball Head. The winner of the second one was Decadent. So now it's just those two are pitted up against each That's other. Right. So please check out next week. Next week we're going to talk about our favorite X-Men. Characters. We're tell stories. Yeah, our, our char- the characters. But tell our stories about it. Explain a little bit about their life. Um, hopefully talk all day for that. And then we'll just pit these two against each other. So it'll be another smaller episode just for you. Cha-ching! Okay. I got this. You can find us on Twitter and Instagram at DrinkInGeekOut. You can also check out our show notes and updates on DrinkInGeekOut.us. You can subscribe by clicking the links on our website or by searching Drinkin' Geek Out on iTunes or Google Play Store. 
To suggest a beer for us to review, you can email us at drinkingeekout at gmail.com or tweet us using the hashtag drinkingeekout. And if you like the show, please rate, review, subscribe, and tell your friends. Thanks for listening, and until next time, drink up and geek out.